Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Manoj Pinna. Manoj is the co-founder and CEO of Seattle-based Pebble Health. Pebble Health levels the playing field between small businesses and startups and Fortune 500 companies for employee benefits. Pebble Health is used by people in 20 states, making it available for small employers to offer generous benefits, such as fertility, zero deductible health plans affordably, or save 30% on benefits spending. Over the past 17 years, Manoj has been driving change in state and efficient industries, including finance, fintech, and healthcare. Welcome, Manoj. So good to see you. Thank you so much for joining. Hey, Shana. It's great uh, being here. We're going to start with some rapid fire. Um, my first question is, um, I know your co-founder you just said is in India, but I'm curious if you could teleport anywhere right now, where would you go and who would you take with you? I would go to India, just like my co-founder is right now. So uh, uh, I was just telling Shana before they started that he's in India for his grandmother's 100th birthday. I would also go to India right now um, with my three children because um, just with the travel restrictions with COVID, we haven't traveled there. And my youngest hasn't seen her great-grandparents. Um, and just in the last few weeks, my grandfather told me that meeting my uh, two older children has been one of the highlights of his life and he doesn't, know much more, he doesn't know how much more time he has because he's gotten COVID twice in the last year and a half and uh, he has other health conditions so I would love to make it happen quickly. Well I hope you get to do that because this question maybe prompts that type of response and then you realize like I got to make this happen so hopefully you can. Um, what is your habit that you're currently trying to break? I uh, get on Twitter for five minutes every morning when I wake up, and uh, that serves no purpose whatsoever. And I would love to break that habit. Yeah. Does it does it uh, end up turning into much longer? No. The worst of it is probably fifteen minutes. Um, by that time, somebody is usually uh, somebody in my home needs my attention. So um, uh, th there's a natural uh, stop right there. Yeah. Well, with three kids, how old are your kids? Three-year-old twins and um, a 15-month-old oh uh, toddler. Yeah. 
I look back all the time on my kids' photos. I have uh, 17, 15, and 12. And it's so cliche to say it goes so fast, but you are right in the thick of it. You're in an intense moment right now. So I'm surprised you even get 15 minutes. That's great. Um, what book are you currently reading? If you've got time, I'm doubtful you even do. Maybe we have to switch it to like a TV show. Oh, no, I I mix it up with uh, uh, audio books as well. So I, I do this thing where I have the same book that I have as an audio book, then I pick it up as a ebook, never physical books nowadays, because I don't know where, where I would carry it with me. Um, anyways, I'm reading uh, Hamilton uh, right now and um, really enjoying it. Oh, Hamilton. Nice. And um, what's a trait that you most admire in other people? Ability to let things go. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Especially for entrepreneurs, right? It's This is your other baby, your fourth child. So yeah, yeah it makes sense. Okay, so are you mountains or beach? Mountains for sure. Nice. And that's great that you're in Seattle because we've got mountains everywhere. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite guilty pleasure? Can I just use the catch-all and say food? <laughs> what kind of food? You got to get more specific. You know, I haven't met a cuisine I disliked so far. No, you like to eat. Um, I like to eat and uh, I like variety. Yeah. And um, yeah, so um, even when I travel, food is an important part of even that uh, travel. Yeah. And so since your family's from India, have you found good Indian food in Seattle? And if so, what's your favorite restaurant? Yeah. So Seattle, uh, I'm lucky in that uh, Seattle is a uh, very good location for Indian food. Um, the best ones are on the east side uh, with a couple in the uh, university district. So if you like South Indian food, um, for me, that's uh, Chili's in the university district or Katakali in Kirtland. Mm. And um, North Indian food, I think uh, it's more spread out. There's a couple of options even in Seattle um, that work quite, pretty well. So South Indian food. Where in India are you from? I'm from the Southeast coast. So uh, South Indian is uh, home food for me. Yeah. Um, uh, people laugh when I say this, but it is true. Um, I've, I've eaten rice three meals a day for years on stretch uh, in different forms, you know, um, because even, even Indian dishes like dosa, uh, the crepes, uh, they have a decent amount of rice in them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've gone a few thousand meals straight uh, having rice in every meal. <laughs> well, that's quick and easy and it's predictable, right? And it's filling. So it hits on a lot of, a lot of things that you need. Um, okay, so tell me about your childhood in India and when did you come to the US? I came to the U.S. Uh, after I finished college. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's my first time traveling abroad, and um, I guess uh, I grew up in Southeast uh, India. Um, all four of my grandparents were teachers, and um, my uh, parents were educated, uh, although not particularly well off. Uh, and uh, yeah, grew up in India. Went to school there. Um, went to college at uh, IIT Madras. Yeah, I read and, about that. Uh, I don't know a lot about the different schools there or even, I've not been to India and I have, I've had many, I have many friends who are Indian and also 
um, have had many guests on the podcast who are from India. And I always tell everyone, I'm like, I just want to go to an Indian wedding so badly. Like they look like so much fun. And everyone that I meet from India, as far as my friends, they have a big discussion about like the, the South from the North and like where specifically they're from. And there's a whole discussion around the food. Yeah. So uh, I'll give you an example. So, um, because India has developed quite a bit, even over my lifetime, where when I was born, 60% 60, 60 of all Indians were completely illiterate. And we used to have to do this thing where you would help somebody down the street write a letter because they couldn't. Uh, things are very different right now. Um, but uh, part of that is, you know, there used to be these locations near where I grew up, where other relatives lived. And it was a day's journey away. And now you look at uh, the same places on Google Maps and realize they are 50 miles apart. Uh, so going to the beach was this big thing you did once every two years. And then I realized I was born 35 miles from the beach, from the sea. Um, and uh, you just don't think about it if you grow up in India because it's all measured in time anyway, right? It's uh, the physical distance doesn't matter. It's just the infrastructure was so much worse back then. Yeah. That uh, that's how it looked. And what were some of the key like industries, or what were some of the opportunities as far as jobs for your relatives? Oh, that's a great one. So, um, as I mentioned, all four of my grandparents were teachers, um, in one form or the other, employed by the government. And the same was true also of my father. He was a he was a bank teller, um, and because it's a its employment with the federal government, it was a very prestigious thing back in the day. Um, mm. And I, I distinctly remember this when I was, let's say three or four, um, our landlady, the, the person who owned the apartment and was rent, uh, who was renting it to us, um, gave me a fountain pen and said, um, I hope you'll be a notary one day. Um, so Another uh, prestigious job, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I have to assume. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's how it used to be. Um, and then um, when I was six or seven, India went through this rapid uh, liberalization phase where uh, they opened up the economy. And so for instance, that's when Coca-Cola and all these things come to India for the first time. Um, and um, that opened up a bunch of opportunity for people. So eventually my father quits his uh, government job and uh, becomes an entrepreneur in the private sector, which everyone told him was crazy. Um, what, was his, what was his company about? What, did, what was the industry? He started a stock brokerage. Oh, wow. So at least he was using a somewhat of his bank teller-like numbers. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the bank teller thing is just one of those things where uh, you are way overqualified, but um, um, people tell you uh, it's it's a secure job with the government with a lifelong uh, employment and retirement benefits and all that. What's what's not to like, and uh, that's how it looks at the time. Yeah. But then when you when you have other options, it uh, immediately falls by the wayside. Right. And so when you talk about people's education levels and having to write letters for people and your family, you know, on both sides being educators, I'm sure that that's also extremely prestigious. Um, I guess my question is, what were, what was like important to the family as far as family values? 
Yeah, education was huge, um, particularly because my grandfather was very well known as this. He was just a school teacher, but most of his work that he's famous for, he did uh, outside his day job, where at any given time, he might have 30 to 40 people living under his care, um, just from the nearby villages, would be there to essentially study with him and prepare for his exams and prepare for their exams and um, essentially some some form of trying to do better in life. And what, how does the education system compare to the U.S. as far as the curriculum? Well, um, I would any day pick the U.S. education system for my kids. There are some good things about education in India, which is um, they they try to hold a higher bar on what is expected of um, students. And they, um, yeah, I guess um, they, they push people further. Mm. So they encourage high performers and they make fewer excuses for not high performers. Right, well, that's how, but, that's, I think that's how it should be. It is, yeah, but at the end of the day, um, the opportunities and the resources you have here are unparalleled. Um, you know, things like computers, the quality of educators and their education level, the ability to touch and feel things, mm-hmm. um, conduct experiments, not, not being forced to memorize unnecessary details, um, Letting, letting young kids be questioners. Um, and I'm, I'm using broad brushstrokes here, but um, I, I feel like um, to a different degree, those things are better done, taken care of in the US education system than in places like India. And once again, these things are changing nowadays and I haven't lived in India for a while. So yeah, uh, I might be speaking about a snapshot some time ago. Um, right, just but, broad um, strokes, but it's helpful because you can get a sense. Um, so I'm guessing just from hearing from you in talking about your family and your upbringing, that your heritage and kind of where you come from means something to you, but how would you describe it as far as how it's shaped the way that you see the world now that you're an entrepreneur here in the US? Yeah, I think um, an important piece was just uh, hard work and industry, which is, uh, yeah, you don't necessarily control what station you're born to or um, exactly which skills are easier for you to pick up. Right. But you do have a high degree of control on how hard you work. And um, that was always um, drilled into us um, as children Yeah. in my family. Um, that was one. And then... Um, um, finding ways to add value without coveting what other people have. So uh, particularly, I think with the milieu of oh, get a government job and relax for the rest of your life, that is a, that, that used to be a real thing in India. But somehow in my family, it was always a don't, if you, even if you do that, work hard, right. uh, serve, serve the people who, who come to you for services, even if you're a government employee, uh, that was the that was the general attitude. And uh, I took that uh, pretty far with me in life. 
Yeah, clearly. I mean, definitely. And so when you were little, I guess you said us, you've got siblings. Where are you in the birth I order? Have, I have, uh, I'm, I'm the oldest son and I have a younger brother. So you're the oldest. And so when you were little, would your brother, I guess, say, if I were to speak to him, that you exhibited leadership qualities as a kid? Oh, um, I don't think my brother would have uh, <laughs> many nice things to say about me from when I was a kid. Um, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where uh, we get along just fine now, but all through childhood, um, we would fight. Yeah. Uh, we were just uh, two years apart, and uh, that, that might have been uh, part of the issue. Um, and both of us are stubborn in our own ways, uh, just like our mother. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But I guess maybe not him, but your friends, like, or even you, like when you reflect back, did you kind of always have a sense that you were going to lead others? Yeah, I can definitely see aspects of it um, at every stage of uh, my childhood. Not consistently, not in every domain, but um, yeah, I, I think particularly when it came to certain types of extracurriculars, I was interested in, I would, I would take on those roles. Yeah. And so who was your biggest influence as a kid? Yeah, that would be uh, both of my parents. Nice. I'm sure they're super proud of you. And so you you went to Indian Institute of Technology. What were the other options? Because I don't have a sense of the different schools. They're like here in the U.S. You kind of have a sense of um, what schools are are you know people want to go to, and depending mm -hmm. on what they're interested in. Did you always know you were going to pursue engineering? No, um, I was at a crossroads about. Um, becoming a doctor versus uh, going for engineering uh, when I was in, uh, before high school. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a pretty close decision, but I'm uh, quite happy with uh, the path I chose. Yeah, what kind of doctor or kind of, I guess, what kind of medicine did you want to practice? Uh, uh, I, I knew this uh, cardiologist that uh, I looked up to, uh, um, as a kid. So I, uh, yeah, I thought uh, that's the path I would take. Yeah. If, if, if I went down that uh, path. And so how did you end up choosing that school? Um, and I guess in reflecting back, was it the right, the right choice for you? Yeah. So, uh, so when I went to college, there were six uh, Indian institutes of technology and um, they were the best six engineering schools in India, or, or at least they were in the top eight, let's say, all six of them. Um, so going to an IIT, if I wanted to do engineering, or at least trying, uh, attempting to go to one uh, was a bit of a no-brainer. Uh, looked at it that way. Um, which specific IIT, which major? Uh, I went to the one closest to home. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, I'm guessing this is the one closest to home. Yeah, it was just a 16-hour uh, train ride each way. Um, uh, that's, the, uh, the, that's the one that was uh, closest to home. And uh, um, yeah, I could see myself being just as happy at any of the other IITs. But um, yeah, no, no regrets, I guess, is how I look at it. Yeah. And um, so tell me about the recruiting process coming out of school. Um, did you think about staying in India or did you know right away that you were going to go to the U.S. as far as like your first job right out of school? 
I, if had you asked me then, I would have said um, I'm interested in living in India. Uh, so my plan uh, was to go to B school in India and uh, work as a uh, uh, take on an interesting corporate uh, role for a few years and then go become an entrepreneur by myself. Um, and it just so happened that. Um, you know, I, I was always big on just having an insurance option because, uh, you know, uh, that's the, that's my family background, right? Yeah, we were educated, but we weren't particularly rich. So um, I guess it's the it's my family's version of uh, teach yourself welding in case this acting thing doesn't work out kind of a thing. Right, right, right. right. Um, so uh, final year of college, uh, this US-based firm comes recruiting to the IITs and I go, oh, let me apply to that. That's a good backup option. And um, uh, I do get uh, get the role. I was one of two people selected out of uh, IIT Madras. And, uh, and then I take a second look at it and I go, well, all the people I met in this hiring process were quite impressive. And the work they're doing is very interesting for somebody like me. Yeah. Instead of going to B school in India, I could also go to B school uh, in the US. I could uh, rack up a couple of years of work experience um, at this thing and um, go to B school and then move back to the India. Um, and a US um, B school degree holds just as much sway in India, if not a little bit more. Right. So that was the plan. I moved. Uh, I moved stateside. Um, and I guess um, uh, I like living in the U.S. so much that uh, uh, I never moved back. I'm here now 17 years. 17 years. Where did you move? Where was your first stop? I, um, it's a very unusual place. I first uh, lived in uh, Richmond, Virginia, which is uh, uh, basically two hours south of Washington, D.C. Yeah. And what took you there? You said that they were working on interesting stuff. What, what exactly were they working on and, and which company? Yeah, so I was recruited by... Capital One, which I think is a top five U.S. bank now in terms of size. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was a uh, they, they've already IPO'd, um, but still a relatively small uh, credit card company. Mm-hmm. And uh, Capital One's unique insight was that, uh, and this is from the '90s um, when they were founded, was that you could use data and technology to make and execute on much better decisions than other people. And you can use uh, that set of skills to uh, offer everybody a different product. You can mass customize uh, products you offer to people as opposed to saying one size fits everybody. Mm. That was a unique insight, um, uh, at least unique by the world of banking and financial services in the 90s. Right, what was your role there? Uh, it was called business analyst, but what it meant was I was trying to make uh, decisions on what products get offered, how are they designed. Using uh, using data analysis. Uh, yeah, using data analysis, customer research, basically anything that needs to happen, but uh, the company had a strong streak of use data, use numbers, make decisions uh, in their DNA. Um, and yeah, uh, figure out um, who gets uh, which credit card, 
Yeah. Uh, how do how, how are those things priced? But uh, everything down to marketing strategy, which is there's 300 million Americans. How are you going to reach them? Um, and what are you going to tell them when you reach them? Um, and and a big channel for Capital One back then was uh, direct mail, um, which is uh, you get these things in the mail. Capital One uh, was the largest user of mailing services in the U.S. after the U.S. government. Uh, the company was uh, mailing so much that they could co-negotiate their own mail rates with the USPS. Um, uh, just as a side note. Yeah, well, I think I, I think I have gotten. Lots you remember of those? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so, um, so you worked at Capital One. You also had a stint with Zest Finance and New Bank. Um, did you kind of think that the projection for your career was going to be staying in finance and fintech and kind of in that sector? No, not in particular. I, uh, yeah, so I think uh, the set of skills that took me to a place like Capital One or that pushed me from engineering to B-school or wanting to go to B-school was my realization at some point that I have a set of skills that uh, apply just as well in many different domains. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't have any strong affinity. I, I did not have any strong affinity at any point in the past to a specific industry sector. I was more focused on how do you make decisions um, and uh, what specific set of skills I can bring to bear on how you make decisions and execute on them. Um, that was that, that was the most interesting aspect to me. So I could have I could have just as well been in uh, not banking and financial services. I could have been in management consulting or any of right. these allied sectors and uh, been just as useful. Right. So are you still tracking fintech as a sector though? And if so, what's your opinion as far as the future um, disruption in that area? Um I don't track it a whole lot nowadays just because um, my current work and my family yeah, takes deep uh, in healthcare, yeah. uh, enough of my time that I, it just doesn't leave me enough time. But I guess uh, one one very interesting that's, that's happening across the globe right now is, you know, the future is, uh, the future just arrives unevenly, right? Which is, um, it's less true in the US. Um, but a general thing, if you traveled in places like India or Brazil or Africa would be that you could travel 50 miles and you could also be time traveling because uh, you would have gone back in time by 30 years mm. by traveling 50 miles. Yes, much different um, than in the US. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's true across countries. Um, yeah. Even even a place like Europe is further behind on the US on a bunch of things. Right. Um, so uh, one general observation is the, the future has just come unevenly in fintech and a large part of very interesting work right now seems to be do something that's working really well in one place and apply it in other places. Um, that's, but, and I do not mean that in a negative pejorative way because yeah, if it's just a phone app, the, that's not doing a whole lot of value add. But fintech is so complex when it comes to the regulatory structures and legal minutia of how they can be delivered in each place uh, place that that by itself is a huge lift yeah and then you add in the issue of different languages terminology different levels of talent in each of those places um these are very interesting endeavors so i now see 
particularly after new bank success, companies trying to do it in places like uh, Indonesia or Philippines or um, occasionally India. Um, yeah. The, the same general ethos, but still very different problems that they need to solve for and not any less hard. Um, right. So that's interesting. Super interesting. And I saw that you did get to work. Did I read this right? That you got to work in Brazil? Yeah. Yeah. I lived in Brazil for uh, three and a half years. Oh my gosh. Did you get to choose that? Because I just am dying to go to Brazil. In India and Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. So I was living in the U.S. for nine years at this point and uh, moved out of the U.S. to uh, go live in Brazil for three and a half years. Um, so the Brazil stint was a uh, new bank or the company that eventually became new bank. And um, yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely a very interesting yeah. professional as well as personal experience. And so as far as these companies prior to starting Pebble Health, which I'm excited to get into, um, I guess, which of them has been a great foundation for you as far as company culture and creating a culture that you want to emulate in some sort of way. And um, yeah, like which, which company would you most recommend to a friend? Oh, uh, that's a tough one uh, because I have, uh, each, each of these companies has their own unique facet that I, I love and uh, I wish to keep uh, for Pebble Health. Um, but probably the one that that has the most in common with the parts I like with all my uh, previous companies uh, is probably Capital One. Um, yeah. I'm excited to get into the culture of Pebble Health and kind of what you've drawn from your past um, and thinking through it. But, um, but first, so you started Pebble Health during the pandemic in 2020. Um, first, why don't you start by telling our listeners what the company does. Yeah, so we level the playing field between small and medium-sized businesses and Fortune 500 companies for employee benefits. So um, companies like Walmart or Capital One or Google do employee benefits very, very differently. And I gave those examples because none of those companies do it similar to each other, but they still have a lot of control on how it's done and they have a lot of control on cost. Um, whereas if you, if you are a venture funded tech startup or a mom and pop restaurant chain or uh, any other business that doesn't have 5,000 employees, uh, you are stuck with a very different set of tools and options available to you and your employees. So we fix this gap. Um, we can get into any amount of detail. I can talk about this all day, but uh, I'm just going to leave it at by using Pebble Health, employees have been able to offer much more generous benefits. Early stage startups have been able to offer fertility benefits to their employees or expanded mental health options, which is one of the number one complaints for uh, tech employees nowadays. Um, they've been able to offer zero dollar to health plans and they've been able to do all these things very affordably, uh, sometimes paying just as much as they were last year. Um, other companies have been able to save up to 30% on benefits expenses while maintaining the quality or while making it slightly better for their employees. Um, and people use the products now in uh, 20 states or um, I guess with the after last week, maybe 22 states. And um, yeah, overall, it's been a positive story for the customers we've been helping so far. 
And how did you come up with this idea? Why was this specifically a problem that you wanted to solve? You know, I think the general idea has been floating around in my head and Vinay's head for some time. But um, the kick in the butt I needed to learn a lot more about the space was when I had to buy health insurance for myself and my family for the first time ever, uh, which is when um, I took uh, two years off uh, work when we had our kids. Uh, this is after moving back from Brazil and after, uh, you know, um, uh, working away at New Bank for three and a half years uh, mm -hmm. at a uh, fairly uh, demanding pace. And, uh, you know, for the first time ever, I didn't have employer offered health benefits and uh, I had to go get on the Obamacare exchanges um, to see what's out there. And I was just shocked at the cost of it compared to what we were getting in return for it or compared to what I expected our family to spend over the next few years. Yeah, it's insane, especially as, I mean, as you know, we've had discussions, you know, as a small business owner, it's crazy the amount that we're paying. And in this crazy competitive market, you have to keep, uh, you know, you have to stay in, in, in line with your offering as far as your Absolutely. benefits yeah. so that people want to want to work there. How did you come up with the name Pebble Health? Oh, uh, we wanted a two-syllable English word that uh, had no connotations as they relate to uh, sickness um, or wellness for that matter um, that had a free domain. Uh, the, this is how calculating we are. Um, and, uh, and then it was available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's what we went with. We tried yes. a bunch of words. We, you know, we tested it. Uh, we, we said it on the phone. We said it uh, aloud, and we we wanted to make sure that uh, like it, it. Sound, sounded good on all media. It makes you want to say it. I do like it. And so you mentioned Vinay that he's in India with his hundred-year-old grandma. And um, how did you guys meet one another? And what was the vetting process like to make sure that you would work well together as far as you know, uh, startup co-founders. We've known each other from the first day of college. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, that's an advantage of uh, knowing somebody for a very long period of time. Right. Um, the idea of uh, working on a company together was, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it, it was an easy decision when uh, both, of us were, both of us were interested in the same things. Yeah. When I think about it, though, because there's oftentimes you know, it's kind of a no-brainer because like, A, we knew each other as children or we went to college together. It seems like the even uh, better way of vetting would be like we worked together side by side because knowing someone and working alongside them can be two different things. And when I think about starting a company with someone, it's also like, what are our goals? What's our work style, work ethic? And where are our skill sets complementary? So what was your process like to kind of have those conversations or was it just like hey let's just do this oh no no um uh i unlike most entrepreneurs i am able to see the downside to most situations um i, I um i feel like enough entrepreneurs usually just uh, uh particularly in the early days are so optimistic um that uh, they cannot uh, foresee any ways in which they, they might potentially fail. And sometimes 
that the downside to that is uh, they do not uh, plan and address those uh, scenarios. And uh, that's why uh, some companies fail. So in my right. case, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly capable of seeing those situations. Um, so uh, with Vinay, we, we did create a fake project to work on over several months. Uh, so we'll have a good sense of uh, our own working styles because yeah, we have never actively worked together in a work setting or in an office setting. Yeah, that's um, smart. And it that's was, really smart. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I don't know, try to remember that because it's such a good idea. Um, and what is your business model as far as how the company makes money? We charge a fixed uh, per employee uh, or per member per month fee to the employer because we only work with uh, small and medium-sized employers who, who are offering benefits to their employees. We say, here's the per head charge for working with us uh, with a small additional performance uh, fee at the end of the year, depending on how we did through the year, um, including cost as well as employee experience. And so the cost obviously is easy to measure as far as the employee experience. Um, is that measured by like some subject, some subjective measure, or is it like, Hey, these are the benefits I used that I didn't know that I had, or like, how are they measuring that? So the benefits part is known upfront, um, where when we talk to an employer, we say, uh, for your specific situation, and once again, no size fits all. So we'll do a quick, uh, work of figuring out exactly what a given employer needs. And we say, for you, this is the recommended set of benefits and here's the expected cost through the year. So they know what benefits they're going to get. Um, what they don't know is the employee experience and how happy they'll be with it. And would that make a difference in their, uh, uh, to them as an employer in a competitive market? Mm -hmm. So what we do is uh, we ask all employers the same set of questions uh, upfront before they start working with us. You know, we ask employees how happy they're with their benefits, that sort of question, uh, and a few other uh, questions of that nature. And uh, we ask uh, a sample of those questions every month afterwards. And so employers get to see before they started with Pebble Health, uh, what is their uh, employees' happy, happiness or satisfaction with benefits being offered. And then they get to measure that over time because you're asking the same questions the same panel of people that you're aggregating yeah um and so that's how uh, that's and, and there's several other things we also have customer satisfaction ratings and other pieces um but uh yes the, the rating themselves are subjective but when you add it up there's enough going there that uh, most people look at it and go yeah uh, an improvement there is a net improvement and if it if, if it is worse then people health is failing right and just an overall like hey would you recommend this um, you know, how satisfied are you and how much more engaged are you in the company because of what you're getting out of the benefits? Um, yep. So who's the subset that fills that out? Is that just the leadership or people making the decisions or is it the actual employees prior to engagement of, you know, um, Pebble Health? Like it's to always just the employees. It's always yeah, the employees. So, uh, yeah, we're always big. On, uh, so the leadership would also be one set of employees. 
mm. but uh, they don't get any larger office say yeah in the rating uh, yeah so we we always believe in the primary source of information uh, at every point um, one thing that um, people i think uh, screw up pretty often is substituting some abstraction of customer feedback for the direct customer feedback yeah so in our case i'm big on uh, i do i do some amount of customer support every day um and i've done it uh, even at new bank when we had millions of customers and it's one of those things where you could look at the numbers you could look at the abstractions but uh, they never tell you the whole story yeah um you keep your um, finger on the pulse that way and really know kind of from the uh customer standpoint like what's actually going on and you're more effective to ask good questions and that makes sense i'm guessing your competitors are not doing that um and i'm also guessing that you do have competitors um if so like what's your specific competitive advantage over those other companies oh we offer a set of benefits that um employers can never get so uh if we did not exist these employers would uh go with what's standard in the industry today which is either something like the blue cross blue shield or is a much smaller not very tech enabled uh what's called a third party administrator yeah and um the uh by working with us they their employees have much better benefits uh richer benefits the experience is better and the employer saves time and money yeah so Um, all, all good things. And so you guys things. have raised um, how much money and I guess how has that process been for your company, the fundraising process? Uh, I, w- I would like to say it has been uh, very difficult and we had co- uh, gone through a large amount of adversity for it, but the answer is we didn't. Uh, so uh, we, to date, we have raised uh, 17.3 million Um, across uh, two rounds and um, it's the same set of investors in both rounds yeah they were like uh, we want first dibs <laughs> yeah 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 so the lead investor is um uh, xyz um the managing partner is ross fubini and uh, i've known ross for a few years before he invested in pebble health just because of our shared investments in uh, other companies um mm. in uh other latin or uh asia um and then uh, our other uh, second largest investor um is uh, founders corp mm. uh, who's the connection between us yes um we'll give and, a shout uh, out to christopher yeah 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 um <laughs> and uh, an amazing set of investors um for sure so I, i think a large part of your uh, audience for this podcast is uh northwest uh, based and uh Um, yeah, I would uh, highly recommend that uh, people work with uh, Founders Co-op if that's an option. Yeah, Chris is amazing. He's kind of a, a unicorn in that he's, um, you know, super smart, super connected, humble, honest, uh, just a good person. So I agree with you. Um, so you've raised all that money and what's your plan? What do you want? What are you going to do with the money? I know that you're hiring a bunch um, and I'm curious how dialed you are as far as your um recruiting process and attempt to build the culture that you're trying to build 
Yeah, so our plan is to uh, take what we are doing right now and make it something that scales really well to a large number of employers. So uh, we are big on maintaining that uh, employer and employee experience of working with us. And what that means is we need to be super deliberate. So uh, today we are not still stepping on the gas. We are still in something like a closed beta. And there's a little bit of uh, a wait list essentially for people to work with us. Yeah, well, that's and, a good position for you to be in. Uh, I don't know. We would love to actually do all that business today and uh, open ourselves up wider. The issue is... Uh, uh, we, we have to also solve a variety of problems that are internal to us that, that, that the customer never sees. Mm -hmm. um, wherein for us to grow 10x or 2x even, uh, we need scalable solutions wherein that employee experience and employer experience stays constant um, without us hiring at the exact rate at which we are growing customers. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's a that's a very interesting technology problem and a very interesting set of um, product and process design problems. And uh, that is what we are spending all of our time doing right now. And that is what all our hiring efforts right now are in the service of. Okay, got it. And if somebody's listening and looking for a job, um, why, as far as the employment branding part of Pebble Health? Um, what makes your company special and why would someone want to come work there? Uh, we are tackling one of the largest problems in the U.S. economy. Uh, healthcare takes up 20% uh, of our GDP. And uh, for all the, uh, it, it's more than many other world economies combined. And for all that money, uh, patient outcomes are no better than other developed countries. And um, experiences are also no better. I think, uh, you know, I don't even give, uh, most founders have uh, do this thing where they talk about uh, an anecdote that pushed them to start this company. And in my case, I don't do that because if just about anybody I talked to had one of those experiences, if not several of uh, the healthcare system uh, and the health insurance system being very inefficient and difficult to work with. Absolutely. And so if, if someone comes work works with us at Pebble Health, that's the size of the problem they're tackling. And if we are successful, 100 million people will have better care options and better ways to pay for that care. And we would change the arc of the U.S. economy. So that's the reason for somebody to work with us. That's, that's number one. That's exciting. I just got some chills. Okay, number one. What's number two? Uh, number two is uh, the people who are already here. Um, my co-founder and I have had a lot of experience building companies from zero to uh, very successful uh, companies. And we have a bunch of other people here who are also very, very good at uh, what they do. Uh, and so in terms of uh, things like talent density, the advantage of joining a team like Pebble Health is um, whoever comes and joins us is going to get stretched like they wouldn't at uh, most other opportunities uh, they would uh, run into. 
Nice. And have you guys identified, um, it's kind of cliche to even ask, but I am curious about uh, what you've identified as far as the company values. And then um, you've kind of clearly stated the mission of the business, um, but how, how are those two linked together? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, I'll tell you one thing that is not a value because uh, we talked about it and said uh, nobody will buy it. And uh, that's not really us, which is humility. Um, we're not humble people for sure. Um, but uh, let's see. Uh, one of our big values is solving big problems. So being willing to take on these large, hairy problems and saying, we will find a solution and we will solve this thing and we're not scared by the size of this problem or the complexity of it is quite important to be a fit uh, here at Pebble Health. After that, it is winning customer trust. So most people trust insurance companies in the sense of they trust them not to run away with their money, but uh, they don't trust insurance companies to or companies in this sector to offer them good customer support or to care about their unique set of circumstances and deal with whatever they need to do to get the medical care or the mental health care that they need. And uh, we want to win our customer's trust um, day in and day out. So if, if somebody's got something that they're dealing with with regard to their benefits on like a Sunday, will you be the person that they call or will you just be facilitating connection to another company? I guess I'm just confused about how all that works. And it's top of mind because yesterday I was at urgent care with one of my kids who we were trying to get an x-ray from an injury. And then I was just curious like how much it's gonna cost. And I couldn't reach my insurance company because it was Sunday. Maybe it's unrealistic um, to ask, but that would have well, been nice. <laughs> So in our case, we do whatever needs to happen to fix that problem for the customer. And um, uh, our, technically our customer support hours are Monday to Friday, uh, working hours on both coasts. But um, we have gotten questions on weekends, uh, questions that uh, no other insurance company deals with right away. And uh, um, when I arrive, the two co-founders get paged and uh, we deal with those. Yeah, and hopefully as you scale, it won't be you guys. <laughs> That's not sustainable with your kids, but I uh, also know that you guys have an app, right? Yeah, yeah, so I, so I don't mind it. So uh, the way I would look at it is, I, I actually would want everybody in the team to get uh, paged. Um, and the reason for that is that customer support interaction is a failing somewhere else. So, um, the best customer support is no customer support because nobody needs it mm. is how I would look at it. So I would say the fact that somebody had to reach out to you means you engineer or you designer or you product manager have failed at something. So yes, offer the customer support in the moment, but now go fix the thing up, upstream. Uh, so you don't uh, get that call on the weekend. Yeah. It's a very, very good point. I never really thought about it like that. And it's a perfect actual segue to my next question, which is how do you personally create balance 
in your life, given, you know, you're, you founded a, a company with like crazy funding and you're on this kind of rocket ship. You've got the little kids at home. Um, how are you finding balance? What do you do to protect yourself? Yeah, for me, it is uh, uh, family work, um, a small amount of time for, I guess, health, wellness, exercise, some recreation. Uh, that's about it. And sleep, I guess. So um, that's about it. So it's uh, in, in many ways, it's just a prioritization exercise and it's deciding what's important to you. Yeah. There what are, do you do for your exercise? Uh, uh, <laughs> nowadays, I'm skipping it uh, way too often, but um, uh, yeah, I just um, have a uh, workout room in my home, which has um, just about everything I need. And uh, I live two blocks from Volunteer Park. Oh, nice. Um, so I, I go for a run there and then uh, lift, a, lift a few weights. So my final question for you, and thank you so much for, again, for joining, um, is what fuels you? What fuels me? Uh, family and work, I guess. Um, Good things. Yeah, quality time with uh, the children. They're at that phase in life where uh, they ask very interesting questions and uh, uh, everything is still a new experience for them. I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, um, this phase of their lives much more so than pe people tell you it changes every phase of life is different but um, you know three-year-olds are just more fun than newborns yeah and the other piece is uh, yeah I'm very excited about uh, what we're doing here at Pebble Health and uh, the amazing team that's uh, helping us execute here and uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the impact we would have on the 90 million people who get uh, employer provided uh, benefits Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.